This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, and this is The Full Story. Well, it was a perfect storm at Sydney Airport this morning, the wet weather and a spike in holiday travel turning the terminal into scenes of chaos. The line at domestic departures was out the door with thousands For weeks of now, airports around Australia have struggled to cope as more people begin to travel again. With many cancellations, some passengers faced wait times of more than eight hours, and that's if they were lucky enough to get on a flight. Huge queues, delayed or cancelled flights and lost baggage have now become a frustrating feature of flying. The bag drop queue was out the door and overflowing into this area next to the main terminal. But for some people, the chaos has been more than an inconvenience. We live in Tokyo and we haven't seen family for a year. And once we got to Sydney, we'd been informed that the luggage hadn't come. I lost a total of four bags. It was myself and my three children. We did not uh, receive our baggage until four days after we landed. My main frustration was just at no stage could I get reliable information. Sometimes they'd say they found the bags, sometimes they said they hadn't. It made the experience incredibly frustrating and overwhelming. And the employees at the call centre must be losing their minds. We've always chosen Qantas because our theory was at the time, I'd rather go with someone a little more expensive, comfortable in the knowledge that you know, we'd be taken care of. And this was a case where Qantas absolutely failed us. Today, we're speaking to a family left stranded without a wheelchair at Sydney Airport, and we ask, how did we get here? And when can we expect things to get better? I think there's a consensus among senior industry figures that it's going to be like this for years. And, you know, unfortunately, those peak travel periods like school holidays, they're probably going to be terrible for the foreseeable future. It's Monday, the 11th of July. Hi. Hello. I'm Gabrielle. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. This is Simon and Maisie. So last month you arrived in Sydney Airport. Can you tell us where you were flying from? We were flying from Paris. So it was uh, with a three-and-a-half-year-old, our daughter. So it was uh, 24 hours on the plane. We stopped over in Thailand. We were flying Thai Airways. So can you tell me what happened when you landed in Sydney? Everyone gets off the plane as normal. We get to the air bridge, the sort of accordion part that attaches to the door of the plane. And there's, as normal, we've done many wheelchair transit. We need wheelchair assistance at every airport. And so we've travelled many times and have needed this service. There's a person there waiting with a checklist and they ask who we are and we had to show ID to prove that he's the one who needs the wheelchair assistance. So they they had the checklist and they ticked us off, but they didn't have any wheelchairs or any personnel. And they said, oh, we'll come back when, when we have something. I mean, at some point we found a chair that we had to share with a, an old lady with a club foot and we waited for more than an hour for somebody to arrive. So what did you do while you were just waiting there? Well, trying to entertain a three-year-old after 24 hours journey. You must have been in pain. Yeah. I mean, anyone's in pain after a journey like this, but when you have a disability on top of it, it really adds to the 
fatigue and pain, you're very uncomfortable and vulnerable. I have a spinal cord injury, uh, which creates a partial paralysis and um, pain and fatigue. He was shot in the terrorist attacks in Paris about eight years ago, and he's got a partially severed spinal cord. So he's got partial paralysis from the sort of neck down and can walk a few steps with a cane. Otherwise, any long distance, like at the airport, he has to be in a wheelchair. We were at the zoo the other day and he's in a wheelchair. Because of that spinal cord injury, severe neurological pain. So he has uh, severe pain, like his arms on fire all the time. And when he's tired, the pain signals increase massively because the body just can't keep it together anymore. So he is severely disabled and that is he's classed as severely disabled in France. So did you think that they had forgotten you and that you might just be stranded there? When we were waiting in the air bridge, I suppose it must have been after about 20 minutes had passed, but as I'm sitting there on the floor and Simon's leaning against the wall and the other poor lady's sitting on the plastic seat that I found, a moment when I saw the air hostesses all exit the plane and the pilots and I saw them leave was when I knew we were in trouble. Now there's no one here. I thought they had forgotten us because there was nobody in the airport. We couldn't see anything. Nobody told us anything. By the time an hour had passed, it's about 9.30pm at the airport, all the shops are closed. We weren't really talking a lot because we were so completely exhausted and I think you were trying to manage your pain. Yeah, and I mean, it's uh, let's say I was too exhausted to complain and I'm French. I can complain when I'm exhausted usually. So... How did that make you feel when you were just sitting there in pain waiting? I felt really humiliated because this is my country and I've dragged a three-year-old and a severely disabled man across the world and I felt like I'd brought them to just a place where they're going to be treated there. I started being angry the next day when I really thought about what was happening, angry for the people needing assistance, angry for the people working there. It's hard when you have to provide this kind of service and you can't do your job well. It's hard, like the lady was mortified and she's not the problem. Also, it's not like you have a lot of choice. If you go to Sydney, you arrive at Sydney airport, you cannot play the competition or something. So it's like... It's the most captive audience you can have is handicapped person arriving at your airport. So, um, yeah, I was angry because it's, uh, it's not charity work. It's not a charity. Every single person who books a flight pays airport taxes and those taxes are supposed to pay for the wheelchair service. So it's not because they're nice. They let him have a wheelchair. We, Every single person who flies out of Sydney Airport is paying for him to have a wheelchair and there wasn't a wheelchair. So what happened when the worker eventually came with a wheelchair? Well, let's say she was very nice. She was mortified again, really apologising and stuff. The wheelchair was in terrible condition. And, well, otherwise it was really easy. There was no line at all. It was very easy to get the bags because there was the on, it was the they were the only left in the carousel. In the carousel. So when the woman arrived, she apologised because 
uh, she's a normal person. Um, and she said that what happened was that, yes, as we saw, there were no wheelchairs. They had to, the one she brought us, which was broken, she had had to wait for someone, another passenger, I suppose on another plane, to pass entirely through the whole border security exit and get the luggage and then wheel it back around and then find us again. So that's why it had taken over an hour. Um, she told us that basically there just weren't any any people, that everyone had been fighting COVID, that she'd only been working there a few months and that she was like the only person there and, and she was extremely apologetic. We had a bad experience for let's say an hour and something. Those people work long days every day dealing with this. So this is also what makes me angry is that they are treated really badly. Imagine uh, the work conditions. Like, in, like anyone knows that working in customer service is terrible because you receive complaints all the time. But here you're dealing with people in a lot of pain and vulnerability who you are supposed to give a service to help them. And instead, you are in a position where you are the one who cannot help them. I don't know how they do it. Next, why are airports so chaotic? Elias, what do you make of Simone's case, given the chaos we're seeing at airports across Australia right now? I think Maisie and Simone's experience, part of that is the shortage of ground handlers. Elias Vasante is a reporter for Guardian Australia. And how when there is one fire for them to rush to put out, it's the people who aren't delaying a plane or clogging a security line that get overlooked. But it's also emblematic of how the privatisation of the industry and not just at the airport, but the outsourcing of key tasks such as providing wheelchairs, security screenings, and the distribution of responsibilities to private contractors, many of which are foreign-owned and didn't qualify for some government pandemic supports. How that has really led to a void of responsibility in all the chaos we're seeing at airports right now in Australia. I feel like there have been so many stories of airport chaos over the past few weeks, Staff shortages, huge queues, people losing their luggage, not having accessibility requirements met. What has led us to this point? Yeah, so I've been reporting on, I guess, the chaos across airports and airlines and the industry in general since late last year, which is, I guess, when flying became a thing again since the pandemic. And it's the pandemic which, I guess, created really big structural changes in just how aviation works in Australia and the world. And I think it's only now that people are, I guess, really confident to fly in big numbers again, that we're seeing just how big those cracks are. And, and what's the cause of these cracks? I think the biggest problem right now is staffing and staffing shortages. So throughout the pandemic, obviously, planes weren't really flying that much. We had international borders closed and for a lot of it, domestic borders closed too. And not all of the businesses received the government's wage supports. So you basically had entire businesses, say, of ground and baggage handlers that just had to let their staff go because there was nothing for them to do, no money for them. And so 
when flying, I guess, really started taking off again at the end of last year, you had an industry with very little notice that the borders were reopening, scrambling to rehire staff and be ready for travelers and planes to take off again. But it wasn't as simple as just rehiring all the staff they let go. The tens of thousands of people who lost their jobs in the industry, they're not really that keen to return to an industry that they'd been working in for years, even decades, and then all of a sudden dropped them just like that. Okay, so a lot of workers were put off, Elias, as you said, and some of them found jobs elsewhere. So what's being done to attract and recruit new staff that are obviously so desperately needed now? Last month, I went to a jobs fair at Sydney's Kingsford Smith Airport, where there were over 40 stalls run by these different baggage handling companies, catering companies, even the retail stores you see in the terminal, as well as security companies. There were also major airlines and even government departments there trying to get people to to work with them. And it's a pretty competitive market. You know, some of the stalls were offering incentives, such as $500 petrol vouchers, really trying to appeal to people who had concerns, I guess, that the conditions in this industry might not be that great. And I guess just focusing on Sydney Airport for a bit, where we've seen a lot of, I guess, the strain of late. Dare Airport's chief executive, Jeff Culbert, he was walking around that jobs fair on the day. And, you know, when I spoke to him there, he wasn't really optimistic about things improving that quickly. You know, before the pandemic, Sydney Airport had about 30,000 people working there, whether they were at the airport themselves or working for an airline or as a baggage handler. And about 15,000 of those jobs were lost throughout the pandemic. Jeff said that this is the tightest labour market the industry's seen in 40 years. And so right now, he wants to fill 5,000 jobs, but there's still thousands more that they know are just going to take years to rebuild. So that's a lot of jobs still missing, Elias. And we think we all know that airports and airlines have huge logistical challenges. Are there any safety issues with this number of staff missing? Through some of my reporting, I've spoken to quite a few people working in the baggage handling space. Now, they say people have taken on responsibilities there that they really don't feel they have the training or experience for. The airlines are acknowledging that that they're asking even their managers who work in offices to get down to the airport and help with things like loading suitcases onto planes. And anecdotally, I've heard stories of things going awry when scanning bags, putting suitcases that were meant to be transferred on the arrivals carousels, and also some people forgetting to do things like weighing bags. Wow. And so I I think it's important to note that airlines and businesses they use, they've been upfront that they're just desperate to get staff. They're offering to take people on who aren't yet trained. And a big part of that, especially of what we see in Australia, is Qantas and how it's restructured, how it does things since COVID. What changed in Qantas's structure? So back in 2020, Qantas decided to outsource about 1,700 ground handling jobs. Now, this decision was pretty controversial. The Transport Workers Union, which represents a lot of workers in the ground handling space, their secretary, Michael Kane, he says it's that decision to outsource 
that is driving a lot of the stories of lost bags that we're seeing at airports. And what do the airlines say to that? What does Qantas say? Well, Qantas regularly denies this. They say that labour shortages are across the industry and there's no correlation with their outsourcing decision and, and I guess some of the hurdles that ground handling teams are facing right now. Yeah, sure, but people are kind of losing their bags at greater rates than they were before the pandemic, aren't they, Elias? Yeah, I think there's no real denying that. I think zooming out, Qantas will say they're just one airline, these issues are happening across the world. But in Australia, there aren't that many airlines. Qantas is ultimately the national carrier in Australia. They run a huge amount of flights. And when they make a big change in how they're structured, you can't really ignore the impacts that it'll have at airports across the country. I mean, there are some airports which are exclusively served by Qantas flights. Now, the TWU, they link that outsourcing decision to real concerns about safety standards. Now, while Qantas furiously denies that, I guess it's important to look at that concern in the context of just how airports are functioning right now. There's chaos pretty much across the board, especially at peak times. And when you've got staff who might even be working, checking in people's bags, when they're copying complaints from disgruntled passengers who've had to wait hours at a terminal or are complaining about a lost bag, it can really start to weigh everyone down and and have a toll on your workforce. Additionally, from a safety perspective, all of those queues that are snaking around terminals, you know, people spending hours inside in an enclosed space, I, I don't think that's a great thing during a flu and COVID wave. All of this adds up and I think it creates a bit of a domino effect across the industry and just creates further chaos. And in addition to that, Elias, we're having some natural disasters. There's flooding at the moment in New South Wales. Is the weather contributing to any of the delays? You're right. Definitely flash flooding warnings, wet and stormy weather. These things don't help aviation. For instance, they can cause a real crush at airports. People often tend to take cars when the weather's worse. And there's definitely been quite a few cancellations, delays and diversions, especially across eastern states, as it can be really tough to land in things like heavy rain, winds and fog. And this is all happening during the peak travel season. And I think airports across the country, certainly Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, they're seeing record numbers of people go through their gates, back to pre-pandemic levels. And coming into the frame now is soaring costs of fuel. Airlines such as Qantas have said they're cutting down flights as a result of that, just because the margin of profitability is is so much tighter now because of that fuel cost. So we know there's a problem, undeniably there's a problem, and I imagine more and more people are just going to want to start travelling again. What has to be done to fix this? It's really hard. During the pandemic, the aviation industry ground to a halt very quickly. And now we want it to suddenly rise back up to what it was before. A lot of the people I'm speaking to say that just isn't realistic. I think a key part is that, you know, those tens of thousands of people across Australia who lost jobs at the drop of a hat, we lost experience, years of expertise, and there isn't really a way to fast track that back into the industry. It's also just 
a really tough time for the industry to stand out in terms of attractive wages. For instance, when I was at that jobs fair at Sydney Airport, to work at a baggage handling company that is used by Qantas, you'll get something like $23.40 an hour. And to work as a security officer, you won't get much more, about $24.10 plus a, an allowance of about $1.70 they're offering right now. That's barely above minimum wage. When I've spoken to ex-aviation staff, a lot of them have been able to get a higher paying job in places like hospitality and service industries. They, a lot of them still feel quite burnt by an industry that all of a sudden dropped them after years of service. A lot of people aren't necessarily persuaded to take the airport job. But a real challenge is actually getting these new employees to stay. Anecdotally, we're hearing that employees are quitting quite soon after starting, just fed up with dealing with unhappy passengers and tough conditions. I've heard that baggage handling company Swissport is offering employees $50 bonuses just to turn up each day. And while those sweeteners might be in place now, the industry is just in a really bad place to be offering really improved conditions in the long term. And so those short-term sweeteners being offered, they're not really swayed by that. Yes, yeah, so these are really hard problems to solve, as you've outlined. And you said it's not going to happen soon. But honestly, I think the question on everyone's lips is, how far away is soon, Elias? How long will it take to fix these problems? I think there's a consensus among senior industry figures that it's going to be like this for years. And, you know, unfortunately, those peak travel periods like school holidays, they're probably going to be terrible for the foreseeable future. Even an airline like Qantas, which was lucky in that it was still able to receive billions in government support throughout the pandemic when a lot of foreign-owned operators and ground handlers that it relies on were cut off from supports. Though everyone in the industry will tell you this isn't just happening in Australia. While we might have some structures that make our cracks a bit more visible at the worst times, we're seeing this overseas in places like the UK, British Airways is cancelling more than 10,000 flights until the end of October. We've seen really long lines outside of Amsterdam Airport too. So a lot of these issues in aviation, they're global. And I think it's, it's more of a question of the lessons we need to learn for when disruptions happen again. I really don't see any quick fixes for this. Thanks to Guardian Australia reporter Elias Vesonte. We've also put a link to Elias's article about Simon and his story on the Full Story episode page. In response to Simon and Maisie's email about their experience, Sydney Airport said it was regretful that he wasn't directed to a seating area. They also said the booking of wheelchairs and the management of wheelchairs in the airport terminals is the responsibility of airlines and their contractors. Guardian Australia approached Thai Airways and their private contractor for ground services at Sydney Airport, Menzies Aviation, for comment. Neither responded to our requests. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria and Alison Chan. The executive producers are Miles Martignoni, who also did the sound design, and Molly Glassie. That's it for now. We'll see you tomorrow. Listener.